Welcome to The Refresh from Insider. I'm Dave Smith. And I'm Rebecca Ibarra. It's Monday, August 22nd, and we're the podcast that updates whenever there's news all day, every weekday. Here's the latest. Russia is blaming Ukraine spy services for this weekend's high-profile assassination of Daria Dugina. Dugina died in a car bombing. She was the 29-year-old daughter of a prominent pro-Putin writer and intellectual who Russian media says was the intended target. What's interesting is that Russia's Federal Security Service is pointing the finger at a specific suspect, a Ukrainian woman named Natalia Volk, claiming she traveled to Russia with her 12-year-old daughter and escaped to Estonia after the killing. An attack so close to Moscow is unusual, putting added pressure on Russia's nearly six-month war against Ukraine. Three law enforcement officers have been suspended in Arkansas after video of a violent confrontation went viral. The incident took place on Sunday morning. Video shows the officer and two deputies punching, kneeing, and holding the man down. It only took 12 hours after being posted on Reddit to make national news and trigger a response from the governor, who said in a statement that the state is investigating the incident. Police say it all began when the suspect threatened a convenience store employee. WNBA star Brittany Griner is still stuck in Russia. So here comes the cavalry. Dennis Rodman told NBC News he plans to go to Russia to get Griner out of her nine-year prison sentence. To be clear, the former NBA star and good friend to Kim Jong-un is doing this of his own accord. U.S. officials say that the Biden administration has, quote, already made a significant offer to the Russians and anything other than negotiating further through the established channel is likely to complicate and hinder release efforts. This month's abortion referendum in Kansas was not even close, but that didn't stop an anti-abortion activist from demanding a recount, in nine counties anyway. The state allows recounts for any election as long as the challenger can pay for the cost. In the end, the recount only confirmed the landslide victory for abortion rights. So you might be asking, what was the point? The AP says recounts are being used not to change the outcome, but instead to cast doubt on the legitimacy of the overall election process. In just one year, Nate Fisher went from striking out typos in commercial loan contracts to striking out the Philadelphia Phillies for the New York Mets. The 26-year-old's pro baseball career was full of setbacks. He wasn't drafted out of college, and the pandemic put a pause on his ambitions. So he settled down, got a job at a bank. But last year, Fisher decided to give his dreams another shot. And when he was finally called up on Sunday for his major league debut, he helped the Mets get through three middle innings without letting up any any runs in the team's 10-9 comeback win over the Phillies. Hey, if you like any of these segments that we're producing for the Refresh from Insider, did you know that you can share any of them on social media? It's true. Just look in the description section of your podcast app and you'll see a little share link next to each story. It's super easy. Give it a try. Today and every day, we're updating the refresh from Insider as news happens, so check back whenever you want to know the latest. Looks like Senator Lindsey Graham has his Tuesday back. He was scheduled to testify before a Georgia grand jury investigating GOP efforts to overturn the 2020 election. But a federal appeals court has temporarily blocked Graham's subpoena. The court wants to clarify the limits of what questions Graham must answer since his official duties in the Senate are off limits. The grand jury has already heard from other big players in Trump world, including Rudy Giuliani. 
During a televised speech, the Prime Minister of Singapore, Lee Sheng Long, announced the island will end its ban on gay sex. I believe this is the right thing to do, and something that most Singaporeans will now accept. Under the law, which dates back to the 1930s, men could be jailed for up to two years for having sex with other men. Now, though the LGBTQ community in Singapore is celebrating the win, the prime minister says same-sex unions are still illegal and called for constitutional amendments to quote safeguard the institution of marriage. Google is using some pretty advanced AI to keep child pornography off the internet, but a new investigation from the New York Times reveals that the company is looking at its users' private photos in order to do so. A father in San Francisco lost all access to his digital life, his Gmail, his photos, everything, after Google flagged a photo of his toddler's genitals, which he took with his Android phone to send to their doctor because of a medical concern. To be clear, the doctor asked for these photos. The alert prompted a police police investigation, which was quickly closed after officials realized the mistake, but Google still refuses to reinstate his accounts. Well, this one feels straight out of a horror movie. Two college students were driving through Talladega National Forest in Alabama when a woman flagged them down, claiming she had car trouble. The students, Adam Simji and his girlfriend, Michaela Paulus, were then lured into the woods where the woman allegedly shot and killed Simji. He was 22. His girlfriend escaped unharmed. Police say the woman is part of a group living off the grid in the park, and she has been charged with murder, kidnapping and robbery. Mark Zuckerberg was absolutely roasted online last week after a relatively routine announcement to promote Meta's VR app Horizon Worlds coming to France and Spain. Part of that announcement included a picture of his own avatar in front of a digital Eiffel Tower, and it just looked frankly awful. The whole image was described as something not advanced enough even for the Nintendo Wii, with an uncanny valley face and Polar Express-esque dead eyes. Anyway, on Saturday, Zuck posted an updated avatar. It's definitely an improvement, though in fairness, it couldn't get any worse. And I would also argue that there's only so much technology can do to make Mark Zuckerberg look more human. This month marks a year since the U.S. pulled all of its troops out of Afghanistan, ending a 20-year war. I am president of the United States of America, and the buck stops with me. The withdrawal was chaotic, to say the least, and it marked the first time Joe Biden's approval rating sank below 50 percent. I'm deeply saddened by the facts we now face, but I do not regret my decision to end America's war fighting in Afghanistan and maintain a laser focus on our counterterrorism missions there and other parts of the world. Insider's John Haltewinger, who covers politics and defense, is here to look back on what went wrong and its effects today. Hey, John. Hi there. So can you remind our listeners what happened last August? So on August 15th, 2021, the Taliban marched into uh, Kabul, the Afghan capital, which effectively marked them regaining control of the country for the first time since 2001, when the U.S. invaded Afghanistan in response to the 9-11 terror attacks. The U.S. was going after Osama bin Laden, uh, who was suspected of being in Afghanistan at the time. The Taliban was accused of harboring bin Laden. But we ended up staying for 20 years. And our mission there uh, shifted multiple times. And by August 2021, the Biden administration had decided it was time to rip the Band-Aid off and pull U.S. troops out. 
But it ended up being quite chaotic. There was a lot of panic in the capital. Uh, people were desperately trying to flee the country. There were some really harrowing images coming out of the Afghan capital. People literally clinging to U.S. military planes, falling from the sky. Um, it was a disastrous uh, situation, especially in terms of the optics for the U.S. You've spoken to foreign policy experts and members of Congress about the withdrawal. In retrospect, what do they say went wrong? Thousands of Afghan allies, people who assisted the U.S. military during the war, people who served as translators, were left behind. People argued that there should have been more of an apparatus in place to organize visas for these people ahead of you know this final pullout because they, they had targets on their back. The Taliban effectively views them as traitors. And the message that was sent uh, you know, in the view of critics was that the U.S. can't be trusted to back up its allies, that the U.S. abandons people who helps it. Do you not think, though, that this kind of chaotic pullout was inevitable, no matter who executed it? Yeah, absolutely. That's a very important point. America's failures in Afghanistan are owned by multiple presidents. This war occurred across four different administrations, the Mm. Bush administration, the Obama administration, the Trump administration, now the Biden administration. It was the Trump administration that brokered a deal with the Taliban to pull out U.S. troops. Biden inherited that deal. For all intents and purposes, when the withdrawal was occurring last August, uh, Afghanistan was essentially at civil war. Uh, I mean, the Taliban was actively trying to regain territory, fighting against the Afghan military. And in that context, it's pretty hard to have a clean uh, withdrawal uh, and to wind things down in a very peaceful or smooth fashion. So yeah, it's certainly evident that this was going to be messy, probably no matter what. I think that a lot of uh, critics, you know, argue the degree of messiness might have been less if there had been more care taken um, in terms of preparing for the withdrawal. So what lessons did the U.S. learn or or should the U.S. learn from this war and the withdrawal? Um, The U.S. invaded Afghanistan in 2001. We ended up staying for two decades. By the time we left, uh, U.S. service members that were in the country, uh, some of them hadn't even been alive on 9-11. That's how long we were there. It just kind of goes to show that we kind of lost sense of what we were doing there. We got involved in a nation building project, essentially trying to force our form of government uh, and our way of life onto Afghanistan. Uh, We didn't learn the lessons of history. How has this all affected Biden and his administration's treatment of other global conflicts? So uh, in terms of the experts and members of Congress that I spoke to, they, they, they argued that the experience of this withdrawal, the chaos surrounding it, probably led Biden to be a lot more forward thinking with other major issues on the global stage, especially Ukraine. A lot of the experts and Russia watchers I've spoken with have given, given the Biden administration a lot of credit for kind of all the, the background diplomatic work they did ahead of the Russian invasion. Um, they really worked hard to ensure that U.S. allies in Europe were going to be uh, supportive of Ukraine when push came to shove. Basically, behind the scenes, the Biden administration said, we can't afford to have another disaster like Afghanistan. We, we better be on the ball if push comes to shove and Putin decides to invade. And unfortunately, that's ultimately what happened. We're now six months into a war in Ukraine. John, thanks so much for chatting with me. Thanks for having me. John Haltewanger is a senior politics reporter at Insider. Make sure to follow the Refresh from Insider on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. 
And please leave a rating and review. It helps other people discover the show. You can also just tell your smart speaker to play the Refresh from Insider podcast. I'm Rebecca Ibarra. And I'm Dave Smith. Talk to you soon.